What should we do with our bodies? They get hurt, broken, bruised, burned, marred and maimed. They get sick. They get tumors and cysts, hemorrhages, allergies, infections. And they get old. They slow down. They ache. They tremble. And they tire a lot easier. Make no doubt about it. Embodied existence is hard. It's difficult to be in a body. Since the beginning of thinking, humans have been trying to figure out what to do about bodies. What do we make of this embodied existence each one of us has? Are bodies good things? Things we should affirm? Things we should celebrate? Or are bodies bad things? Things we should mourn? Lament? What should we do with our bodies? This is a difficult question. It's a confusing question. It's a question that actually our culture, right at this very moment, is confused about. So many of the hot button issues we have today that we fight over come back to this question. What do we do with our bodies? If you do a survey of media, art, important thinkers, culture makers, there are two arguments that arise, two perspectives on the body in our culture. The first, our body is everything, and it's all that really matters. And the second, our body is nothing. It doesn't really matter. We see this first message, that the body is everything and it, all that really matters, in a few different places that we don't expect. We see it, for example, in the scientific materialism of people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, who make arguments like this. There's nothing spiritual in this world. We're all just bodies that have evolved over time. All experiences, all emotions, all ideas, they're just chemicals, electrical impulses in the brain. There is nothing to this. All we have is our body. And we see it also in a very different place in the hedonism in much of our pop culture. Y'all uh, familiar with the term YOLO? You only live once. It says that we have to make the most of this life because we only live once. We only get one life. So make the most of it. Make as much money as you can. Have as many fun experiences as you can. If something feels good, then do it. Because life, after all, is all about pleasure and enjoying your life. But the second message, the body is nothing and it doesn't really matter. We also see it in some different places. We see it, for example, in what the late journalist Tom Wolfe calls our therapeutic age. By that he means that in our age, in our time, the most important thing is being true to yourself, is being authentic. We are a self-obsessed culture. The great evil in our world today is a person who tells someone to be something they are not 
the great mortal sin. But this therapeutic age also explains and fuels the identity politics that dominate so much of our public discourse. See, what matters is not the bodies we have or the families we come from or the places we live, but ideology, but what tribe we identify with, whether the person is our guy or not, whether the idea is correct or not. This is a body-denying way of thinking about the world. So what's the problem with these two messages? Well, besides that they're contradictory, you can't affirm both of them at the same time, both of these perspectives are dualist. Now, dualist is an old, churchy, philosophical word. Let me explain what it means. A dualist is someone who makes a clear-cut distinction between body and spirit, between material and immaterial. They're very black and white about it. And whenever you make such clear distinctions about the body and the soul, you ultimately end up privileging one over the other. You will say the body is the most important thing, or you will say the soul is the most important thing. All of these cultural perspectives are dualist, but dualism is not new. Dualism, in fact, is very old. It's as old as Holy Scripture. The first Christians were fighting against many different kinds of dualism in the early church. So in truth, our debates in our culture today aren't new. They're just rehashing of old fights, old arguments about body and soul. So what should we do with our bodies? We Christians, what should we do? If we want to speak to our culture, we want to proclaim the gospel, we must have an answer to this question. We have to give an account of what we should do with our bodies. The problem is, is that Christians tend to fall into the same traps as our culture. Christians have not always been clear about what to do with our bodies. See, some Christians say the body is all that matters. And so they spend their time regulating what we do with our bodies. Christianity is all about doing certain things or really not doing other things. But then there are other Christians who say the body really doesn't matter at all. Jesus came to save your soul so you can float on a cloud with the angels. So all that really matters is that someone makes a decision for Jesus because the real you is the you on the inside. So if Jesus is in your heart, you're good. Jesus doesn't care about the body as long as your soul is saved. These are two types of Christian dualism. They fall in right with the way our culture thinks about the body. And they cut across all kinds of denominational lines, evangelical to Pentecostal, fundamentalist to mainline Protestant. Neither of these two dualisms are the gospel. They are shadow gospels, fake gospels. None of them can actually speak truth to our culture. They just get caught up in the culture war in the arguments and partisan fights. So what should we do with our bodies? We need historic Christian orthodoxy. 
Historic Christian orthodoxy is far more sophisticated. It's far more complex than these cultural dualisms. Christian orthodoxy walks a fine line between two extremes, between saying the body is all that matters and the spirit is all that matters. And Christian orthodoxy really gives a good answer to our culture, a plausible answer that the world needs to hear. And we see historic Christian orthodoxy on display in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, our reading for this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I want to spend my time this morning in 2 Corinthians. If you can fetch your Bible with you, open it up. The Pew Bible, it's on page 966. This is a really challenging passage, but it's really important because it answers this question. What should we do with our bodies? But in order to understand what Paul is saying, we first need a little background. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to his problem child. Does anyone have any problem children here? Don't answer that. See, St. Paul planted a lot of churches throughout the Mediterranean. Each church had its own distinct character and culture, but the church in Corinth, man, they were the rebellious ones. They were the ones that were always fighting with Paul. That's why Paul wrote two letters to them. And the conflict between Paul and the Corinthians here at the end of Paul's life is starting to take its toll. They have pushed Paul to his limits and he's starting to feel the pain physically in his own body. In fact, that word pain appears in 2 Corinthians probably dozens of times. Paul feels fragile. He feels like a clay pot. And later in the book, Paul will speak of a thorn in his side, some kind of physical ailment. We're not really sure what it was, but it was making it difficult for him to continue his ministry. This years of mission work on the road are starting to take its toll. And so it makes sense that as Paul is writing to his problem child, he reflects on the body, on the pain that we all experience. Look with me at that first part of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. This can be a bit confusing because Paul is using two metaphors and he's mixing them. Paul is comparing the body to a tent and clothing. The body is like a tent, the body is like clothing. Now, we can read Paul in a dualist way, that he wants to get rid of his tent, that he wants to get rid of his clothing, his body. That's not what he's saying. Look at verse 2. We are embodied in the tent now, but Paul longs for a heavenly dwelling. And in verse 4, Paul says, we are clothed in a body now, but he longs to be further clothed. So Paul doesn't want to be naked or homeless. He wants a greater, more perfect home. He wants more clothing. So what's the point? What am I getting at? Here it is. Christians don't hate the body. We believe that the body matters. 
God created it. He called it good. But at the same time, our bodies are imperfect. They're broken. They're sick. They're perishing. They are heading towards death. See, there's a sense in which, in the book of Genesis, at the beginning, that our bodies were made to last forever, to be with God. But they've been infected, not by a physical sickness or disease, but by a deeper spiritual enemy. There's a power called sin and death. And it has taken this good body that God has given us and infected it with death. So for St. Paul, the Christian hope is not to escape our bodies or to shed our bodies. Rather, Paul longs for a healed body, a new body. Paul wants a resurrected body, a body like Jesus. Where does Paul's hope come from? How does he hope in this new body? The key to this whole passage is verse 5. Look with me there. Paul says that God has given us his Holy Spirit as an abaron. That's the Greek word used there. In your Bible in the pew, it says guarantee. But this word is actually really difficult to translate into English. We don't really have a term for it. It's a financial term. It's a term that bankers use. The closest word that we have in English is a down payment. If you're a homeowner, you know this well. When you buy your house, you get a mortgage, and you promise to pay over a certain term. In order to show that you're good for it, that you can do it, you give a down payment, a large amount, a guarantee, an abaron. So Paul is saying here that the Holy Spirit given to us is the down payment for our future resurrected bodies. See, the dualists are right about one thing. There are two parts to the human person. There is a material part, a body, and there's an immaterial part, a soul or a spirit. But when we separate these two things, again, they get privileged over the other. We say the body is all that matters or the spirit's all that matters. No, no, no. Body and soul go together. We are body and soul united. That's how God made us. Jesus came to save both body and soul, to heal both body and soul. And we see this clearly in the Gospels. Every time Jesus heals someone who is sick, every time Jesus casts out a demon, he is caring for someone's bodily existence. After all, as we confess in the creed, Jesus became incarnate. He took on a body like one of us, and he was raised from the dead in a body like ours. This is why the church celebrates fathers and mothers. Happy Father's Day. See, there is something important and particular about bodily existence as God has given us, as males and as females. We can't separate our identities from our maleness and our femaleness any more than we can separate our bodies and our souls. They go together. There's a particular male way of giving life, and a particular female way of giving life, and they go together. 
they need each other. And Jesus came to redeem them both. And Jesus has given both men and women his Holy Spirit as a down payment for their resurrected bodies. So what should we do with our bodies? It's really the wrong question. The better question is, what will God do with our bodies? The Christian hope is this, that God will heal us completely. Because the victory won in Jesus' death and resurrection, there'll be no more tears, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more cancer, no more infections, no more heart attacks, no more aging. But see, the Christian hope is greater still. We get to taste this healing now. God has given to his church his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is at work in each one of us, all of us together, making us part of Christ's body. Through baptism, we become part of Christ's body. The sin and death at work in us is killed. We are raised from the dead with Jesus. And through the Eucharist, through the table, through Holy Communion, we get a preview, a foretaste of the healing that will come on the last day when we all gather together to eat at the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is why Paul ends this passage from 2 Corinthians 5 in this way. So we are always of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. The Holy Spirit has given to us in the church hope. Hope for those who suffer in the body. Hope for those who don't know what to do with their bodies. Hope for our culture that is confused and seduced by false promises and dualisms. The church cares about the relief of suffering. It matters to us. That's why we have so many outreach ministries at Christ Church Plano helping to meet the needs of those who suffer in our community. That's why we send people out to bring communion to those who are sick, who can't come to church. We care about the relief of suffering. This hope is like the mustard seed in Mark 4. It's a small thing, but that thing grows. And it grows and it grows and it grows until we put on our heavenly dwelling, until we are further clothed, until what is mortal is swallowed up in life. My prayer for us is that we, like St. Paul, will proclaim this message to a world who needs to hear it. People who suffer need to hear that they will be given a new body, that they will be healed May we give this hope to the loved ones in our lives today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.